Daiju Bildong, um, Stoji, two duo, me and Reezy, Tamu and Reezy. Yeah, uh, just acknowledge, you know, the original custodians of the land, the indigenous people of Australia, and we don't use the A word. Um, but yeah, it's been a while. We've kind of had a hiatus, hiatus, because um, there's a lot of issues being with scheduling, internet problems, and it's just yeah, it's been been quite. Um, but there's so much has happened, especially with our mates at uh, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, or as we know them, the the weapons lobbyists. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we've been wanting to do like a to talk about ASPE for a while, but I kind of wanted to, to devote a whole episode to them and do some research. Um, but I haven't really done any research for this episode. <laughs> so. I mean, they try to cancel press Professor Pan. He's like really like pretty much like Peter Pan. He's just such a happy-go-lucky dude. I don't know why anyone would attack him. He he doesn't seem to bear any harm. He's just saying what he sees. He everything he t- he posts in. He has his own evidence. He all uses evidence of you know SP and tries to you know make a logical assumption based off um, just common sense in general. Uh, yeah, that was a massive overreach. You, you put it well. He's has like the perfect online persona, and then. It was one thing for people to sort of argue with them, but then, like Rusa, like uh, like tag Deakin University, like a like you know, this and got Drew Pablo as well. Yeah. Yeah. They all trying um, to get um, fired. I mean, this this dude is an actual academic. Like he's a professor in international relations, and he's also now um, in the Australia um, China Research Center. It, it, he he probably you know. From what I've seen of his arguments, he's basically just did some simple Google searches and disproved a few camps, you know, because um, they turned up to be just actual high schools or um, bomb shelters and stuff like that. I was just, just going to say, like, he is obviously, I mean, he's a fucking professor, so he's a smart dude. And a bunch of people in their early twenties who um who thought that they'd that had just just enough that they could own him, that they could shut down. It's one thing for those people to for Drew um and Ruza to to come at, you know, other random people on Twitter. But Pan is he's 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 next level and that was a massive failure. <laughs> Yeah, they got a so, lot of backlash. A lot of um, anti-China people, even then, were like, this is, you know, cancel culture. Gone mad. Especially, these people are free speech warriors. They always go like, oh, the people in Hong Kong are being challenged, and all that crap. And now they're kind of to cancel people. And furthermore, um, you talk about the 20-year-old thing. That That's another kind of odd um, perspective. Because if you look at the salaries for an analyst down in Australian Strategic Policy Institute, it's around $100,000, $120,000. And that's around the ER1 rate in the public service. And that, that's usually, you know, a rate that someone at least at the age of 30 to 40 will be getting. And they're in their early 20s. And look, you know, allegedly, you know, that, that, that does sound kind of shady. And I know it's meant to be hiring of skills because there's very strict, very strict codes of conduct, very sort of strict criteria when hiring people for public service jobs. Maybe it's a bit different for ASPE because they're a think tank funded um, externally by foreign governments and also... Weapons manufacturers, but there's also one other point is that um, allegedly someone told me that Joski was hired before he graduated. Allegedly, of course, and that's a huge breach. If because most of the jobs I see they require a bachelor's at the minimum. So wow. uh, yeah, what's going on here, mate? Yeah. You know. So the it's I'm just I just googled Aspie and it says that it's a think tank, um, but the founder was the Australian government, but they must have at some stage in the last it's founded in 2001 so some stage in the last 20 years they have changed the official I don't know, ownership or function or whatever so that surely they have they have disconnected themselves from the government so they can get away with that sort of stuff yeah um from what i heard i i talked to a few people um that's in sort of the public service unions and they were like well they, they sort of part of the government but sort of not it's a sort of it's like Australia Post. It's it's a sort of public-private situation. I'm not sure myself, but still, that's something to look out for. Yeah, it's dodgy sounding. Yeah, well, I mean, if we had some decent 
journalists on the China beat in Australia. That should be something they should be looking at, really. Instead yeah, of looking definitely. for reds under the bed, um, look for tanks under the bed in this yeah, case. Um, I mean, like 20% of the funding comes from foreign governments. Uh, Japan, um, Taiwan, uh, America, all very all very much governments hostile to China in that region. So um, it, it's not just the 2% that's coming in from a graveyard in Boeing, which is dodgy as, but that, this is dodgy as well. Like, why, why do we have a think tank that we're funding and also foreign governments are funding? Where do the interests really lie about SP? That That's a question we need to ask. And that scares me because they have so much influence at the moment. Um, I also heard that uh, SP got a lot of funding from Twitter to help them monitor uh, fake news, which is interesting. Well, some of our Twitter mutuals got taken down in that, um, that purge a couple of months ago, um, which was, it was done by Twitter, but it was with data from Aspie. So that was weird, yeah. And we've just had another purge, a lot of um, so-called Iranian accounts mm. um, seem to have disappeared. The Nepalese account, very high high um, profile one. Uh, Socialist Life, I think, what's her name? Sabina? Oh, really? Yeah, she got taken down. And they said her name was offensive, but her name was literally Sabina. So... No, she's uh, still up. Oh, no, she got back off the suspension. Oh, she's back, is she? No, oh, she got banned right. for her offensive name, which is her actual real-life name. Um, I don't know how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> they're just banning people because, yeah. yeah, they're finding some bullshit reason. They just tick it. And, um, she Fun, who got uh, basically ganged up on by Adrian Zenz. Um, <laughs> oh, what? Was, yeah, did you, didn't you see? Um, so... We recorded an episode with Xi Fun and a few other Chinese Australians about the current xenophobia. And the next day, um, we wake up and she, all her three accounts around 10k followers were banned. I messaged her and she's like, "Yeah, uh, she showed me a few messages of um, Zen's apparently having brigaded her and kept retweeting her to get her. Or he didn't actually say, um, you know, come at her, but he basically made the sort of, you know, uh, assumption for his followers that she was like a genocide denier, which she isn't." And, you know, of course, all his followers reported her and got her banned. All three accounts. Yeah. So um, he seems to be a bit more active on Twitter lately. Mm, um, he's now focused on Tibet as well. So he likes Buddhism. I, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just seeing these, these tweets here from him. He's, he's retweeted her three, uh, quote tweeted her three times. Randomly, yeah. And this is um, really, um, I mean, Carl went into it because Carl... You know, me and Carl both know Xi Fang grew up in Xinjiang as a kid in Kashgar, yeah. the, the most Uyghur, the, the most um, Uyghur heavy place in terms of population by ratio, the highest amount of Uyghurs, which is Kashgar. And, you know, it, it's very funny because I, I don't think Zen has ever been in Xinjiang or perhaps even China. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess it's, you know, none of us are arguing that there is no oppression. We're just arguing there is no genocide. And we don't think that what's happening should be happening either. <laughs> but, you know, people just twist. Yeah. Because that's what's happening to um, Dr. Professor Pan, you know. They're saying he's apparently a genocide pusher. It's not true. <laughs> he's just saying you can't just, you know, label every hotel, every school, every whatever government institution as uh, a internment camp, which is not what it is. Yeah, and... As we've discussed before, like they they go they they take it too far with these ridiculous claims. They they can't just you know they can't settle for like a you know a colonial a colonial project similar to Australia's or even less perhaps I'm not sure. They they straight out with these camps with what are we up we're up to like three million people now. And that was like <laughs> six million. You what's know, his name? That million, uh you know Aussie guy. That, that, that used former bigot, but turned activist for... I can't remember his name anymore. You know what I'm talking about, yeah? Uh, there's about 20 people that fit that description. Yeah, one of those guys. He's like, yeah, I used to be really hating Muslims, but ever since I saw the money in Patreon, I turned around. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It, it's probably not as bad as Australia, because Australia literally has indefinite detention. They don't give... Um, they don't allow you to go home at night. Um, they don't give you a free degree. The, the bad thing is you're forced to have this education no matter what, which is really bad because you don't have a choice. You have to go to school. 
Um, that that's the problem with me. Like I, I mean, why why do I have to you know do this education even if I'm not you know associated with terrorism just because of my ethnic background, which is annoying. You know, that's kind of discriminatory in that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not really it's not it's not fucking my place to tell Chinese people how to do it. But you know the the racial profiling at a minimum would be extremely inconveniencing for for certain it, people. It is very people. much like I was speaking to a Kazakh friend, and she's like, um, you know, it's very hard to go even go to Thailand now because of her Muslim and Kazakh background. Uh, right. She has to get extra checks just because she's Kazakh, and she's never like wanted. She says she's not even very religious. And she's not political at all. It's just her background. So that's that's really unfair. That's not cool, man. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, in Australia where if you're a refugee or, you know, you, you're going to get put in the camp and you're never going to chance to get out. You're just stuck there for like the next 20 years until you're like, all right, just put me back in my country and kill me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure if we've mentioned this podcast before, but uh, maybe two or three kilometers away from me is um, a place called Kangaroo Point. It's like an inner city suburb of Brisbane. Um, and there's a hotel that's been, uh, since coronavirus kicked off, has been converted into a makeshift prison. And there's about, I don't know, 30 or 40 uh, refugees in there. Um, there's one guy there who, who fled to Australia when he was 14, um, and he's still there. He's 21 years old. He's been in that, he's been in prisons in Australia for seven years. Um, yeah. That's just so, shocking. You know, uh, that's that's why someone like me, as a born and bred Aussie, um, you know, I can talk about things and discuss them out of interest, I guess, but I certainly cannot be um, lecturing anyone. Wasn't um, there like some rate where incarceration rates for um, Indigenous people is actually higher than African Americans um, comparatively? Oh like, yeah, it's just it's yeah. disgusting. It's <laughs> Yeah, well, we like, have I, our. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I see it stuff. in the streets. Like, I'm in Melbourne in the CBD, and there's there's an indigenous kid. And he, literally, the police goes up to him and just starts searching him for no reason. He just ignores me yeah. or any other white bloke or any Asian bloke walking past. But they get go for that indigenous kid right away, pinpoint three or four of them, shake down his 15 year old kid, and he's probably just some student, you know, or maybe a uni kid. Sometimes it's bloody unfair. You know, that's. Oh, I, should, I mean. There's, uh, you'll see like indigenous kids in school uniforms, you know, 10, 12 years old on the train. And some of the trains in Brisbane have security now. And most security guards would just sit right in front of those kids, just staring at them, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's bloody scary. Um, like, I, I would not want to um, live like that. And this is, it must just be hurt, hurt a lot, because especially you know that like, you're the original people of this land. And these bastards come over and they're doing this to you. That's <laughs> just yeah. shocking. Um, so I guess the issue is like that. How do we separate that sort of from what aboutism, you know, or does it even matter? Like, I don't, I mean, you can't, it, it's not really what aboutism at this point. It, it's kind of just pointing out the, the fallacies of, or the hypocrisy of these countries calling out yellow people when you got, you know, um, people doing hysectomies down in uh, the ice camps, literally making it so, you know, refugee babies, I mean, like refugee women in America can't have babies. That's yeah. actually fucked up. That's that's disgusting. Um, I am totally against the fact that they're forcing people to get degrees in China. That's shocking, like everyone. But that sounds way less, you know, evil than, you know, cutting your genitalia, like whatever the hell they're doing in America. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's actually a good way of putting it. I mean... Yeah, with the, it just it would be extremely difficult, really, for any country to compete with what America gets up to. <laughs> yeah, and then, especially when you got Aspie funded by actual military, you know, weapons industry dealers, making money right now off Yemen, you know, Raytheon. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So that's something I wanted to talk about, um, kind of about the funding of Aspie as well as I was listening to um, around the Empire podcast which is a great podcast. A um, couple of weeks ago, Isa Bloomy was on the show. He's like a Middle Eastern, um, Yemen sort of scholar. 
but he was talking a lot about all the think tanks in America. They're all, f- a lot of them have like large funding from certain Gulf sort of emirates. So like, say Brookings Institute will be, get a lot of funding from either UAE or Qatar. And then another think tank will get funding from another Gulf state. Another one's getting it from Saudi Arabia. Oh, so, you can, so you can kind of get each each of those think tanks is so because there's you know, filthy amounts of money coming from these oil. <laughs> it's kind of like Trump monarchies. with his kids. They're all consulting for each other and making money off each other. Well, it's yeah, about I mean, money. <laughs> they're tied up with that. Yeah, and they so, don't pay taxes. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. And yeah, so if Aspie is getting money from these other these other countries. Um, well, the way it is, you just have to put that in perspective. And, um, you know, I'm still happy to, to read Aspie or anything, thanks reports. Um, but when you're getting disproven by randoms, just doing a blind Google search on the internet, that's, that's pretty sad, man. <laughs> that is sad. That's, uh, yeah. There's that have... Bogan guy. He had like five tweets. And he literally just went on Baidu, which is the Google in China, and searched that address he put down. And it's like, hey, this is just a high school. And that's why there's like, that's what it says there. And, and, and you know, it's just hilarious. Then Nathan Ruse is like, no, 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 because they ran out of space. And I'm like, dude, Xinjiang has the largest land area in bloody China. And then yeah. the other fact is China can build a new building in a week. Like they build a hospital in one week. For them to build in terms, it must take two hours. They would love to make that economic incentive to build millions of centers that they needed to. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's just stupid. They would never take like take educate like you know take another another school to give education to the other people. That just doesn't make sense. In Chinese culture, you've got to be oriental because education is very important in Asia. Yeah. Um, so I, I just with that, it's. Uh, so I just wonder how much of how. I'm starting to think more these days about the economic aspects of of all these Uyghur and um, other minority groups, and as Andrew Zenz has said lately, uh, all these Tibetans moving into blue collar jobs. So I'm guessing they were living in like subsistence farming of some nomadic, sort, yeah, or even nomadic, yeah, you know, like not, and then and not being integrated into the Chinese, let alone the global economy. Um, Man, and now they just, they're able to do that. They just want, like, you know, to be able, like, some Karens go over to Tibet and take photos, like, oh, look at these Tibetans. They have such culture living in, you know, such squalor. That's what they want, you know. They don't really care about them. They just want the most for the spectacle of, like, oh, I look mean, at... Wow. It's, uh, going, going to Tibet and getting a photo with a bunch of Tibetan kids in um, nice modern clothes <laughs> does not look as good on Instagram as with yeah, yak kids farmers. with filthy clothes because they don't have fucking running water in their house. And they drink yak milk uh, all day. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wonder, with especially with Zenz's last report, is that he's had all this data that's showing um, increased conditions for Tibetans, better work, much more money, <laughs> integration, access to internet. Cultural and, genocide. This is horrible. How can they do that? Okay. Well, yeah. But what he's done is he's gone, okay, I've got <laughs> these facts. What can I selectively take from this and offer to the think tanks. whatever? Yeah. yeah, the think tanks. And then, but ultimately the think tank, what it comes down to, it's it's a one paragraph in a, in a news corp in Australia um, newspaper or it's a 30-second grab, or it's just a dumb tweet that no one looks any further into. So mm. part of this big picture of the, the, the improvements of life for, for rural Chinese people, you just take out the little part as, about them getting jobs without the perspective around it. Mm. It's very easy to believe. <laughs> I mean, you put you another know. point. Like, you know, just, just say like 50 years ago, like 95% of Chinese people were farming subsistence farmers, agrarian farmers. If, if you told anyone Chinese, like back to, even back then, you're like, oh, we can give you a new life um, as, say, a, a tradie or a, uh, I don't know, office job or a party member, everyone, nearly nearly all of them would say yes. It's just like the same yeah. with the dependents now. They don't want to be subsistence farmers or 
like in you know in Northern Thailand they will have sheep herders. In the south they'll have like you know pig farmers. Um, it, it's not a life they actually want. They just they're just doing it because it's what the environment allows them to do. Yeah. Look, it it is it is it is sad to see traditional cultures get sucked up by by global culture. You know, it, it's it's not unique to China. Um, I'm sure there was cozy villages um, in rural England 150 years ago that have lost that charm. Um, you know, there's villages in in Thailand or Africa that are now completely integrated into into a, a global culture, and that's been lost. You know, that sucks. But what doesn't suck is is escaping poverty. And I was watching a, a YouTube lecture. And I can't remember his name. Um, it was an American scholar, and he'd gone to a village in Yunnan, um, extremely isolated village in Yunnan. He spent two years there studying the effects of the um, the poverty eradication project. And he was talking to a villager, and he said to the villager, "Man, this is this village is absolutely beautiful. These mountains." You know, the clouds, it's so green. Do you ever just step back and just think, I'm so lucky, this is beautiful? <laughs> He's like, fuck the villi- <laughs> Yeah, the villagers said to me, said, these mountains are the reason I'm poor. Yeah, because they don't, they, can't, they don't have flat land to farm and make more money or grow better crops. Well, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a road to get his crops yeah. into town before they go off. Yeah, that's what a all the rich places in China like in sort of the the east central area, you know, or the south central east, because you got better better flat land, very rich land, fertile land. That's why the yeah. southwest is just lots of hill tribes, and it's it's always been quite um, poorer comparatively to the rest of China, and they don't understand it. Great. Yeah, yeah. They well, want to keep to like honest, Thailand. Yeah. That was that was a bit of a wake up call for me as well. Um, <laughs> you know, I I. To be honest, I really still have like a very basic understanding of China, but it's so massive, and that there's just so many people that are so isolated that they're desperate to, I imagine, to to get connected, and um, and yeah. that's that's why when they're 18 or younger, they they go and do their four years or five years in a factory in a uh, you know, Shenzhen or Guangzhou or something, don't it's they? It's the you know, same. Like, Han Chinese kids from Sichuan or from the Western provinces, you see them working all the poorest jobs in the big cities. They're there on their own avail. They're not. They're not like being forced to come to say Beijing or Shanghai to work as waiters. It's just they can earn ten times as much as being a waiter than working on a farm back home. Exactly. In this way, they can buy it. Like, oh, it's crazy. Like, I've known a lot of people. They they don't thirty five. They because they work for ten years down a big city. They actually bought a house or two back in the hometowns because of how cheap it is. How is that any different to, for example, my parents who who moved to Australia um, from New Zealand with nothing and just working unskilled labour in the hope that me and my sisters would would get better jobs and stuff, you know, or or any immigrant, a Chinese person in I don't know Guangzhou moving to Australia in the 70s and and running the only Chinese uh, takeaway store in some horrible town in Queensland, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and keep pissing off fucking... Pauline Hansen so much that she goes on a tirade for the rest of her life. But yeah, have you, uh, did you have a look at that? Um, it seems like they want to keep every Chinese person, not Chinese, but like every minority sort of impoverished and poor, so they eventually will revolt. Like there was that sketches, Fred. <laughs> um, so there's that Dr. Laura Murphy, who I think saw a Uyghur employee in the sketches factory in China. Okay, so. I, I that was me who found her thread. Oh, she um she had retweeted that um American scholar who who got that video, which does look like it's from um what's the Chinese TikTok called? Douyin, which is just TikTok, yeah. Douyin. Douyin, yeah. So I don't know because I asked him. I said, "Where did you get this video from?" And someone replied to me saying, "Oh, it's it's just from Douyin." And I was like, oh, well, are you sure? This guy's like a respected scholar. I don't think he would be doing that. But then if you look, look carefully at the video, he's, he's tried to crop, crop out that little D symbol, 
but the top corner of it's sitting there. And I guess my naivety should have given away, but the the music in the background as well is classic TikTok material. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. So yeah, so this Laura chicks picked it up and she created that massive story 30, out of it. Thirty thread out of one. 14-second video. Um, the guy might not even Uyghur. He could he could be Tajik. He could be any... I don't know. He could even be Indian. We don't even know. <laughs> Did you, uh, and you saw that, that tweet of hers where she's like, um, he might not even know that he's um, in forced labor. <laughs> he's probably getting a pretty good wage compared to what he could probably get back in wherever he's from. Um, it's, it looks actually pretty cute because he's a pretty nice moustache, this dude, man. He probably slays. Uh, he seems pretty happy. Like he gave the heart symbol as well. He doesn't look like he's, you know, being forced. Like he's being whipped or. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back on that because I don't think that a 15 second video can tell you anything about True. anything. But that's that's what I so... got. But she kind of went the other way around and started saying, "Oh man, this is horrible. How could this guy have a job? He needs to go back to his, I don't know, uh, grape farm, whatever they. Oh, yeah. It's yeah." Horrible. Sultana's farm. That's right. That's what I have. Oh, Sultana's. Yeah. <laughs> get, get get back to farming sheep. You damn we You know she's she's just really angry. Um. It, it, yeah, as I said, they just they want to keep them in poverty and make them really poor and make China look bad. I guess it's just very weird. Um. I mean, I just I wanted to add like the the last twenty thirty years and probably the next twenty years of China. Um, there has been a, like a massive sacrifice of just the average Chinese worker who's probably working far harder than anyone in Australia does, you know, and someone working in a, uh, a Uyghur working in a, in a factory making shoes, maybe it does seem like a shitty job to, to anyone here in the West. Looks but, better than uh, backpacking, picking berries off the trees, mate. Well, it's, yeah, it's better than farm work in Australia. You're not know, breaking your back under like a 40 degree sun and getting $2 an hour. Actually, probably getting more than but, that. But that's how the development of, of an economy of, or in a country works. You know, you go through that period and it's certainly, I mean, at least they're getting um, <laughs> infrastructure, the minimum out of it. Unlike, you know, some of the, some of those shoe factories in places like Indonesia or, um, sort of Southeast Asia, certainly not as good conditions as what they're seeing in China. And I just, it just needs to be put into perspective a bit, I think. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them just sort of draw out like these huge tangents. Um, the funniest one is when Nathan Ruza uh, posted a QR code of like a watermelon seller. Oh my God. And it's like, this is how to report terrorism. Like, to, to, to you could say, who, who, which terrorist is going to be like, hey, this is my QR code for my terrorist profile. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what? So, <Not> here. <laughs> that screenshot was CGTN. So he would just been watching something on YouTube. And yeah. I wonder if he even believes that. If he just took that screenshot, he's like, this is something to tweet to have his shit on China. Because yeah. it, I guess it's, it's people he's clearly it never been. It's too funny though that one. It's just like, yeah, we all have, you know, all the all the terrorists in China they have QR codes to show that the terrorists. It, it doesn't make sense. Like those are the shittiest terrorists ever. Then. <laughs> but the first thing you see when you get to China is how they do things a little bit differently. And I I remember uh, the first time recently that I went. Everyone pays like um, QR code. That's yeah, and I was watermelon. like. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is awesome, you know? No one carries around credit cards or even cash anymore. Yeah. How did he not know that before he posted that? Because that would just been. be so embarrassing. Unless he hasn't been in the last 10 years. That's probably the only other way. He went and was like five. Because he's like 23 and he's earning 120 grand to shield for like weapons companies. Uh, <laughs> maybe Nathan hey. Ruza. The Ruza is actually just the whole ruse to trick us. We don't know. <laughs> Man, um, if you gave me that money... Maybe I could be tempted as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, when you're 23, you're making that money. Uh, it's pretty cool, I guess. But what what I found really annoying was I say he's like, look at that knife. It's chained down. I'm like, have you been to a fucking market, mate? Utensils get chained down at every market. <laughs> was it you that tweeted about uh, pens being chained down at banks in Australia? You know, like. No, I didn't. But probably someone would have. That's what happens because you don't want you to steal your, their shit, especially your knife. Yeah. 
good knives hard to get I mean, when you're a watermelon car. They, you know, they, they need those big ones. Yeah. Especially in a, like a street food market where like any little any kid who's picking pockets can run up and steal shit like that. Yeah. Um, Say you buy um, a crappy knife, even at Warwaps, you get your ID checked and everything. It's <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's quite um, you know is that bad? And you know there's all these like if you go on an Australian embassy um, in China, they have all these QR codes to migrate or like you know international education. So is, is Australia like checking out for terrorists now in the embassy or? It's the dumbest take I've ever seen, mate. It's so bad. It just seems like this kid's trying to pander or try to be woke, but he's not. Like, he, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. He gets so many things wrong every day. It, it, I, I don't know. Maybe he just go back to looking at, like, biking lanes or whatever the hell he was doing back in the day. So what about this? This Let's put our tinfoil hats on for a second. What if Aspie is, is, deli- yeah. is deliberately having one or two... So I think we could possibly include uh, Vicky Zhu in this as well. John Garneau, who got sued by his billionaire for defamation and lost 200 grand. No, not him. I mean, like, young, kind of maybe not naive, but easily impressionable people. And they are deliberately out there copying, not abuse, whatever it is that me and you do on Twitter. We're a bit more polite than some people. They do cop abuse. We just point out the facts. Yeah, but what we do, we push back constantly, whereas... The other people just actually, if, like, fuck, are you a bitch? Like, fuck, are you a dolphin? Like, you know, those Chinese nationalists. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's dumb as well. But I understand where they're coming from. But you notice that a lot of the more senior analysts at Aspie, they're not active on social media. They do not put themselves in a situation where they can be challenged. So... Yeah, I just wonder why Aspie has this tactic of sending these young people... Well, they can't fail. That's the thing. Because no, no matter how much you push back, they can just, uh, you know, label you as a genocide denier. It, it, yeah. It's like it's like Donald Trump or his family. They can't fail. There's like, these people can't fail. Because if they fail, all their mates in the media also fail. So they they can keep... Like, look at John Garneau. He was working for Fairfax, and he, he lost the 200 grand lawsuit for spreading fake news about a billionaire. How, how sad is that? You lose, lose 200 grand to a billionaire. And he, he, got, he just <laughs> fell his way into a, into a senior analyst or something, research job, fellowship job at uh, Aspie, making a few hundred grand. Yeah, now. right. So you can't fail. And, you know, he, John Garneau, I feel bad for him. He's probably, the, you know, he's the failed son of the family. His brother's way cooler. He's like this actual dude who goes to Xinjiang and, like, you know, has, studies Hui Muslim culture. And his dad's, is that you know, Ross Garneau or? Uh, Was that the dad? The dad, yeah. The dad's the famous economist. Right. Um, his brother is the Garneau family. I can't remember. Ah, John is the fail son. Yeah, he's he's the cool one. He's the fit one. Anyway, uh, yeah. Okay. It, it's just so sad, you know, how how this this has occurred. Um. But you know, oh, Anthony Garneau. Yeah. That's the other one. So, what 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 makes it um really weird is also like it's all these failed sons coming in then you got Joski, who's the son of um steven Joski, who's like um you know he was the president of the australia china commerce board in uh, beijing and he was also you know leaders of all these yellow like econ- economic stuff you know he's a consultant apparently and it seems like his consultancy seems to just work around allegedly attacking china and trying to cut off chinese goods nowadays um but yeah so basically these fail sons then you got um, Alex Turnbull, who wants to be a Aspie guy, it looks like from all. Oh facets. man, yeah, he's definitely auditioning for a job at Aspie, isn't he? He has the fail something been... going. <laughs> you know, he's been doing all his little research. He has these most most boring threads that no one cares about. Like one Only like. People... He has five thousand followers. He gets like two likes. <laughs> yeah, but those five thousand followers are mostly there for. They're not there for the China content. They're for the NBA they attacks. Yeah. yeah, they there well because last year or the year before, like he turned against the Liberal Party because the Liberal Party um sacked his dad as prime minister, and so um <laughs> what what in a, on Australian Twitter we call them brokens that they they blindly loyal to the Labor Party and they don't really care about policy. So when you know a, 
oh, let's face it, a right-wing rich kid wanker like Alex Turnbull starts saying stuff against another right-wing politician, they they really embraced him. And for a while, he was like a darling of, you know, Australian leftist, vaguely leftist Twitter. Yeah, then he uh, started losing it again. We started defending the MBN and how his dad basically, you know, allegedly gave contracts to mates of copper mining to get the copper yeah. wires and, and fucked over Australia for the next hundred years. But... You know, but no one, no one gives a shit about his China content. Nobody wants to go it's to him. Also, shit as well. It's like Orientalist. <sighs> like he was looking at, like he was getting pissed about the Ben and Fungus penis peels or some shit allegedly. I'm like, who the fuck <laughs> talks about this? And it, it just seems like he's having a go at Carl Zar all the time. Because probably, you know, only, the only people that talk about penis peels are people with really small dicks, or that need to use the peels. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, and there was uh, that Fred he did. And he I, hates uh, Carl, yeah. Um, <laughs> Fred he did. Oh, yeah, because me and Carl wrecked him with that uh, CIA in Brazil. That's um, right. And, <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know, I, I honey potted. I was like, yeah, Carl's on CIA. He just believed in it. actually tweeted it at Bill Bishop, um, one of the biggest China watchers on the platform. Yeah. Uh, so he, he, he did his old Fred on, like, sort of a summary of Chinese history. Did you see that? Oh, actually, no, I did, yeah. Ugh. It was so bad. But it, the thing is, there's so many mistakes. It, it, it takes so long to, like, because there's so many mistakes, it takes so long to, like, sort of get away with them. It's kind of like the Donald Trump tactic. We just say so yeah. many lies, just get tired of, like, trying to attack it. And he got yeah. one like on each post for some reason. Oh, and when I one of them got six. Okay. Okay. Well, it was probably some, probably a bunch of, uh, Phil and Gong stooges who uh, oh, force no, he, themselves to like his content, you know, like <laughs> the one he says they got six was like because um, it's current days all about genocide or some shit, allegedly. Because yeah, probably Phil and Gong stooges. So it it just seems very racist. Um, uh, it's like he, he talks about the Yuan Dynasty, which is the Mongolian Dynasty in uh, Genghis Khan's time, and he says it's a great sort of. Um, sort of state for minorities because compared to the Ming, which is such bullshit. The Yuan Dynasty, even if you Wikipedia it, it comes up, the Yuan Dynasty had a caste system of four levels for, for racial like groups, with the Mongolians at the top, um, then the Muslims, which is where my family came over, at the second top, like ruling as a ruling sort of like aristocrats. Then there was the yeah. third was the Northern Chinese, then the fourth, the Southern Han Chinese. So you had 90% of the population literally living under the yoke of like the one or two percent of the people, how is that good for anyone for racial tolerance? He, he just doesn't yeah. know shit. Unless he, I guess he really hates Chinese people, maybe. So maybe that's good for him. Like dad. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's such a weird thing for for him to tweet about because no one, no no one would go to him for that sort of content. <laughs> and he says if Chinese want... um, identity normalizes. Exp- expansionary policy and ethnic cleansing. What the fuck? Oh my God. I, I don't know. That's part of my identity, mate. Like, I never wanted to kill people like some Australians who came on the first fleet. Cough, cough, Turnbulls. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, yeah. he feels, he, he feels the <laughs> fail something where he's at, you know, even Sean Rain hit him hard. You know, it was like five jobs in three years until he got to Goldman Sachs by his dad. Yeah. I could just totally see it at home. It's just like, he sounds like, Alex, are you looking at Mel Flag again? It's just like, <laughs> like no, Dad. I'm trying to uncover CIA agents. He's just like the, the loser, <laughs> the most biggest loser in his family. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wish I was a loser in that family. Yeah. Get a few mil from your dad. Some money's good. Yeah. yeah, true. I mean, that's he's living a life. You know, but I don't know why he's putting himself through this. Oh, man, I tell you what, he could do. <laughs> there's so many other things he could be doing with his life right now. Like, I don't know. It, it's a bit of a um, yeah. bit of a sad Elon Musk situation. You know, Elon like, Musk. No, I, like I a... want my own think tank. No. <laughs> the Turnbull Policy Institute. No. Do we call it the Toilet Paper Institute to bully him? <laughs> <laughs> great. Oh, hate that guy. Yeah, it'd be great though when he gets his own uh, think tank. His dad just starts funding it. He's like, okay, Alex, I'll get you a think tank. But please yeah, don't just like keep him out of trouble. Don't resign or like do anything racist or anything crazy in the next few weeks. <laughs> so the other funny one that popped up 
the last couple of days um, was that uh, Firefield uh, Kiwi Academic <laughs> slash writer. Is it Anna Firefield? Yeah. Um, no one will talk to She her. had written one last article um, before she left China. She's complaining about how no one wanted to talk to her. Um, I, I, that's kind of old. There's not much to really add to that. I think Western journalists have been saying that for a while. It doesn't really seem to be true anyway. They just yeah. they don't really want to talk to um, you know, Australians or Americans, I guess. I Ever guess since the, um, Trump got elected, they could see how uh, twisted the Western media was. Sometimes people just don't trust Western media in general. Yeah. And, and she was posting some weird photos of mosques and stuff and saying that um, they were closed. And then um, I asked her, I can't find it now, I can't remember what I asked her, but she ended up replying saying uh, some days she went there, it was closed, and some days she went there, it was open, but she had to sign in, um, which was probably just like a coronavirus thing. You pretty much have to sign in everywhere you go, yeah, anywhere in Australia. I'm sure it's the um, same. Yeah. The point, like, a question I wanted to ask was this Anna Firefield apparently can't read Chinese, which I don't really have a massive problem with. It sounds like it's hard as hell to read. Uh, I mean, if you can speak it, doesn't seem too much drama. But she's also written a book about Kim Jong un. Yes, I saw that. So now I'm wondering what's. It's a very What's wide a, uh, specialization. Yeah, it is. Can she read Korean? Can she speak Korean? I doubt she's been to North Korea to do any research. Where does she get all the information for the book? You know, like. Yeah, <sighs> I mean, that's interesting. Uh, as we said, we did talk about it on the podcast um, that Washington Post were looking for a new bureau chief, which is probably placing Anna Fifield. And on the job description, it's like Chinese is not necessary, Chinese skills are not necessary. Yeah. So I'm guessing they're going through the same path. They just want some white face, you know, some Karen to just, you know, man the ship. Um, I'm guessing I'm going to make an assumption. I, mean, I don't think she knows any Korean. She probably just got all her sources translated or just used English articles and just, you know, posted a line like, Kim Jong-un yeah. killed 50 people with anti-aircraft guns last night or some crap, you know? She may have had like a, a research assistant to translate it for her. I mean, I guess that's fair enough, but why not just have the research assistant write the book? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's the main yeah. issue with a lot of this. Like, why why would you hire Bill Bertels when you have to hire like two translators and like personal assistants and you have to, you know, have three or four wages to sustain one person when you just get just one person who speaks both languages? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't, you know, run run for the running for his life. <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> that's why Bill posted about um the Chinese journalists getting their uh offices Houses ransacked. Well, he sort of put some doubt on it because he was like, well, they'd use the unnamed source as his first sort of tweet, which is funny because that's what seems to be ninety nine percent of the sources in um Western media about China. Um, of course they've used an unnamed source because if you come out as like you know anything anti-Australian pro-China in Australian media you're going to get killed so yeah. basically at about 6.30 in the morning on June 26th they knocked on the door and ASIO and police you know came in who said they had a warrant because uh, of the anti-foreign for, foreign defense law um, and the journalist pointed out that according to relevant laws uh, they had you know consular protection in the Chinese consulate, and he called the consulate, um, and that that person and their daughter had been working their sleep, and they sat in the sofa as they watched the ASIO and the police turn the house upside down. Um, if they went to the toilet, there would be people waiting outside the door, making sure they don't escape to the toilet. Um, they were really scared. His daughter was just kind of, you know, obviously it's a child, be quite scared. All all their devices. Um, were searched, including their personal computers, mobile phones, iPads, electronic devices, along all the materials. They basically just went through the whole house and ransacked it, yeah. Um, That's just standard cop shit, right? Yeah, and three other Chinese journalists also were uh, suspected of search. Uh, two of them were women, 
and some of them even experienced worse um you know harassment than than this person had and they apparently they asked for reasons there were no reasons given afterwards because there wasn't any you know interference um or there was no basis for them and basically the lies has been upturned since then and they have to have to have left the country since yeah so it looks like nothing ever came out about that there was no uh no arrests or the, the australian media has not reported it this is the first time australian journalists has really spoken about it yeah it was I posted think. by uh the chinese media so yeah, yeah. well i think i hate to say it but we were one of the first people to break that that yarn from uh actually uh chen hong yeah who talked about yeah. it yeah like you don't know about right. like the way how they came in the morning and basically ransacked the house yeah so um it's odd that Bertles would wait Oh, it's been two or three weeks now. To be honest, I mean, I, it's good that he yeah. actually talks about it, even though he tries to kind of, you know, black market by saying he has no source. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely, um, I don't know, muddying the water, I guess. I'm not sure what the correct term is. but No, like, no exactly the right term. Like. Yeah. But it's weird how Australian media still hasn't, you know, talked about four journalists getting their where's the you know remember when the abc got raided which is absolutely horrible for that the afghanistan war crime um, investigation Th- that was over the news for like a week or two because the older journalists came out in solidarity which is cool because that that's you know a breach of freedom of press but where where, where yeah. are the like you know the australian journalists talking about this like going oh look these four journalists were raided and there was no evidence of their foreign interference yeah i mean Yes, they don't care about the chinks. Hey. <laughs> how how a regular Australian journalist can think that it can happen to a Chinese journalist and not eventually happen to them too, or fucking anyone? It's already happened you know. multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's weak. Um, and it, I understand. I guess the media environment in Australia is pretty tough. If you if you if you did get a job at the ABC or one of the News Corp or Fairfax outlets, you, you probably will would be willing to, you know, sell your soul just to keep that fucking job. <laughs> yeah. Not, not excusing it, but... It's very yeah. cosy, in a way, um, if you can keep it. Um, I mean, the AFP, they, they, there have been articles. I, I read one. It was like they access illegal information over 5,000 times in the last year without a warrant, like looking through people's text messages and stuff. Oh yeah. So, so we we don't know um, who's been no breaching that. That's it's just absolutely shocking that you know they they're always talking about Chinese government spying surveillance, but Australia's doing it and breaking the law. It, all he gets is like one article in the news, and people just forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, even well, I, I'm not fully up on this story. I'll have to look into it. But the with the East Timor, we were spying on. Um, some East Timorese in Australia who were because they took us they the East Timorese government took Australian government's court over um, a gas shelf that we share um, and it, it turned out that Australians had been spying on them and then I, I might be wrong here but they they were holding like uh, secret interrogations and stuff as well like just next level you know all for the mining companies and oiling companies. Um, yeah, it's disgusting. We're just like a miniature version of America, but really shit at it as well. Yeah, like we can't, we can't even beat up a country that we literally set up as a puppet state. <laughs> we're just that trash. Like we, we can't do anything right. It's also like we're basically scamming Chinese people all day, selling shitty vitamins and baby formula that I wouldn't trust because I know, like, as an Australian myself, I'm lazy as fuck. If I made something, I would not <laughs> buy it. I don't know. I know, I know it sounds horrible, but it's true. We, we, we are lazy, like, comparatively to... Uh, I would trust the weaker dude to make my shoes, not myself. I would probably <laughs> make the worst shit ever. Yeah, yeah no. Nah, uh, for the purposes of keeping my job, I won't say too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just In the saying, past, I've I mean, done some pretty... <laughs> if you I get mean, yeah. Dude, I'll do um, it. I'm not, I just... I really hope that this country finds out before it's too late that um, we can't take the rest of the world for granted. You know, it's it's been one thing for America, 
to, to do it to the rest of the world because they were so powerful. But um, as the the crisis in uh, higher education at the moment in Australia has shown that we need we don't just need China, we need the whole world, um, and we can't be pissing people off. Yeah, I mean, um, you're going to rely on America where they've just had two, like, I don't know, 100-year-old dudes, you know, yap about clowns and crap for an hour and a half. It, it's, it's a very dire world we're going into at the moment. And yet Morrison's just putting all the eggs in one basket when we can easily have a huge economic boost if Morrison would just say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And he won't do that because we're America's number one ass kisses. Yeah, no, well, he's not making... He's following orders too, I guess. So. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what he's getting out of it. But it's dodgy as. Um, anyway, uh, we'll end here today. Um, just a broad going over the week. Uh, see you guys. See ya.